The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We begin with a Wall Street whipsaw. Stocks looking to recover from their worst day since March as investors come to terms with the real-world impact of higher for longer. Also, just days to go, and Congress still has no answers on avoiding a government shutdown before that October 1st deadline. We are in D.C. with the very latest. Also in Detroit, President Biden becomes the first sitting U.S. president to visit a union picket line, voicing his support for workers and their right to ask for more. Next up is former President Trump. Plus, Apple now closing in on crossing below a key technical level. We debate whether growing action from U.S. regulators will push it over the edge. And then later in the show, it is day three of our week-long special looking for fourth quarter big ideas. We will tell you with Victoria Green's year-end stock pick and the latest Delivering Alpha investor survey both have in common. It's Wednesday, September the 27th, 2023, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Let's get you ready to start the day. As always, we kick off the hour with a check on U.S. stock futures and take a look at this. Futures are in the green across the board. The Dow looks like would open up about 100 points higher. The S&P and the Nasdaq just shy of a half a percent higher. So this, after the Dow posted its worst session since late March, closing down more than 1 percent. Also, its fifth down day in the last six. The Dow now on pace for its worst month since May and on pace for a second down month in a row, along with the S&P and the NASDAQ, which you can see right here, they're tracking for their worst month since December. Now, all of this is the prospect for, of higher for longer. It just becomes a reality for many. The 10-year, still sitting at 2007 highs, right now at 4.50, pretty much basically flat. Look at the two-year note, back above 4%, but lower than it was yesterday. We're also looking at the 30-year, the 30-year, at, since at right now at 2011 highs at 4.63, something we continue to watch. We're also looking at the energy market right now, taking a look at oil. So as we talk about higher for longer, we've seen some fluctuations in the oil market this morning. WTI crew, that's the U.S. benchmark, up higher, back well above 90 bucks a barrel, up 1% right now at 91.35. Brent crude, similar story, just under 1% at 94.72. Natural gas also making a move to the upside, up over a half a percent. Also, we got a big stock story this morning. We continue to watch Amazon after that monster stock move yesterday on the news that the FTC is going after the e-commerce and cloud giant for monopolistic practices. Taking a look at shares of Amazon right now, fractionally higher, but you can see the big dip just yesterday. See this downside move on that news. Shares are down 2% week to date. We will continue to watch this. We'll have much more on the regulatory headwinds facing tech coming up later in the show. All right, that's your setup. Let's get a read on the trading day ahead. We want to bring in New Street Advisors Group founder, Delano Sapporo. Delano, good morning. Always great to have you here. Thank you, Frank. Good morning. All right, so we're looking at some of the action in the markets. Bad month for the markets all around. We're dealing with higher for longer. What are you telling your clients about their portfolios in this situation that's really seemed to shock the markets? It, it, well, Frank, one thing we're telling them is, is to continue to, one, stick to our plan. Um, 
being exercising caution here is a good thing. Uh, if you look at again in July, that might have been the near-term top uh, for the market. And you were just talking about the soaring energy prices. Um, if you still look at you know deep into the CPI, you'll see food prices have obviously still relatively been steadily uh, going higher. So it is making it harder if you look at it uh, pulling back for for the Fed to kind of realize. If either you know employment is going to tick higher or um, inflation will go lower, and I think those are the, the things that you know is being juggled right now. So when you're also looking at the ten-year yields, you mentioned moving up, um, the bond market seeming to indicate some of those same things. Um, you're also looking at the yield curve um, potentially looking to to uninvert. So so those things are really really things that have to be priced into the market higher for longer. It is something that's probably going to happen. Potentially seeing um, us seeing a rate hike, you know, before the year's out. And, and potentially also in 2024. So I'm still waiting for those things to price into the market, which I don't think um, have fully priced in yet. Probably going to happen. We don't talk a lot about it. Or we haven't spoken a lot about it, but PCE coming up on Friday. You look at the churn, it is generally going lower, but got an important note. Last month, it did just tick up one basis point. Are you looking ahead to that? Um, what does that make you think about the Fed's path going forward? They already told us higher for longer. Does this just cement it when we look at this data, if there is another tick back up? Yes, 100 percent. It just it just cements it in my mind. Um, and, and if, obviously, as I mentioned, looking back at the data that we got over the past few weeks, that that's just cementing it for me. And okay. so from my standpoint, I'm looking at, you know, what makes the most sense um, for for investors going forward. Okay. Um, and I think a lot of investors are going to be looking for defensive plays. A lot of investors are going to be looking for yield plays and just generally places where they feel that their portfolio uh, will be safe to 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 really overcome any sort of volatility. All right. So I want to bounce something off of you. Uh, ahead of tomorrow's Delivering Alpha Summit, you can scan the QR code on your screen or go to CNBCEvents.com to register if you are interested. CNBC's out with this latest DA investor survey, polling about 300 chief investment officers, strategists, portfolio managers, and much more on where to find the best returns for the remainder of this year. So take a look at the data. 27% short says short-term treasuries. 23% said the S&P 500, while the remainder they were split between some other ideas, zero for Bitcoin. Um, Delano, where do you land when you look at this data from the investor survey? Where do you land when it comes to this? So what? I saw zero for Bitcoin. That's that, <laughs> not surprising. But I think, you know, I don't want to be a front runner here. I, I think short term treasuries looks like a smart move to the, for the remainder of the year. And again, it's going to be based, basically the fact that I don't know if all of what the moves that the potential Fed will make um, will is, is priced in. And so I think that would be, you know, an area where um, people could potentially get yield um, and, and honestly protect their portfolio. I also think if clients or if folks out there, investors are looking at um, areas in stocks that are defensive in nature, if you look at healthcare and some areas there, those have actually not been you know, so glamorous year to date, but potentially um, moving forward could be if you're looking for stocks that have strong dividend yields, attractive, attractive yields, and also growing at a steady pace um, and resilience okay. versus any volatility, those might be also a strong play for investors. All right, Delano Sapporo, always great to see you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Frank. All right, we're going to switch gears a bit, turn our attention to Washington. And with just days to go until the October 1st deadline, still no deal in sight, at least in the House, to avert a federal government shutdown. But that's not stopping the Senate from taking measures all of its own. NBC's Drew Petramus in Washington. He joins me now with the very latest. Drew, good morning. Well, good morning, Frank. You said it right now. The Senate, controlled by Democrats, and the House, which is under Republican control, appear to be on different paths. And neither seems likely to find a solution that avoids this government shutdown.
It is now in order to consider amendment number eight. With the House making little progress, the Senate is moving forward with its own short-term funding plan to keep the government running through mid-November. This bipartisan CR is a temporary solution, a bridge towards cooperation and away from extremism. And it will allow us to keep working to fully fund the federal government and spare American families the pain of a shutdown. The plan maintains current levels of government spending plus additional funding for Ukraine and disaster relief, but it faces dim prospects in the Republican-controlled House. I think in the House, we'll take up ours. I did talk to uh, Leader McConnell tonight. Speaker McCarthy late Tuesday said the House will put forward its own temporary funding plan before the end of the week that also focuses on border security. But it's unclear if McCarthy has the votes to pass it, facing a rebellion from hardline members of his party pressing for deeper spending cuts. This place is broken and we need to stop spending the way we are. We need to get spending under control and it should be the top priority. With the shutdown looming, federal agencies getting contingency plans in place ahead of the September 30th deadline. This is so unnecessary. This is doesn't need to happen. A shutdown would impact a broad array of federal programs from pre-K to agriculture. Four million federal workers will be affected with some being furloughed and others being forced to work without pay. Now, late Tuesday, the House did take the first steps toward passing some long-term spending bills, but they would likely face stiff opposition in the Senate and do little to avoid this shutdown. On Capitol Hill, I'm Drew Petromo. Frank? All right, Drew, thank you very much. Drew Petromo, live in D.C. All right, we got a lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. But first, it's not just Wall Street coming to terms with higher for longer. So are CEOs across all sectors of the U.S. economy. That includes my next guest. We speak with the CEO of Jack Henry and Associates. Plus, President Biden becomes the first sitting U.S. president to visit a union picket line, voicing his support for workers. Next up is former President Trump. We are in Detroit with a live report. And we have a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. And welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Taking a look at futures right now, you can see the Dow is up just about 100 points right now in the pre-market. The S&P and the Nasdaq both up just under a half a percent. Let's now see how Europe is shaping up as this trading day gets underway. We have our Juliana Tattlebaum live in our London newsroom with much more on the early action. Juliana, good morning. Frank, good morning. Well, European markets have been off to 
a somewhat muted start. Right now, we are hovering around the flat line. We've come back off the highs of the morning. We were trading higher across the board. Now you can see FTSE MIB over in Italy teetering uh, between gains and losses this morning. This after the Stock 600, the main benchmark in Europe, logged a 0.6% loss yesterday, its fourth negative session in a row. So we saw selling in Europe yesterday, not to the same extent that you had on Wall Street, but some stabilization coming through now this morning. Breaking it down by sector, this is the split, what we're seeing in Europe this morning. Uh, we've got H&M in focus from a corporate perspective. Uh, H&M delivered a Q3 earnings update, profit beating ex- estimates thanks to cost cutting, but H&M did warn of a slowdown in sales in September. That stock trading toward the top of the stock 600, nevertheless. Oh, sector-wise, you've got technology, the leading sector this morning, 1% higher. Media and industrials also holding up well. On the downside, utilities, the big underperformer, that basket of stocks down one Telecoms and insurance also lagging somewhat. So overall, Frank, a choppy but muted start to trade here in Europe. All right, Juliana, thank you very much. Our Juliana Tattlebaum live in our London newsroom. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, what President Biden told striking auto workers yesterday and what former President Trump plans to do tonight instead of debate his fellow candidates. We're live in Detroit right after this. Stick with us. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Taking a look at futures right now. Again, the Dow looks like it would open up about 100 points higher. Taking a look at the S&P and the NASDAQ, both up just under a half a percent in the pre-market. This after a down day for the markets yesterday. We'll continue to look at futures throughout the morning. But now it's time for a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Silvana Hanau is here with those. Silvana, good morning. Hey, Frank, good morning to you. Well, after nearly 150 days, the Hollywood writer strike is officially over. The Writers Guild of America voting unanimously to lift the restraining order on members after reaching the deal with studios. The agreement, which lasts until May 2026, includes a 5% minimum pay increase upon approval, along more pay bumps over the next two years. It also adds that AI cannot write or rewrite literary material, and AI-generated material will not be considered source material. Peloton facing a C-suite shakeup. Co-founder and chief product officer Tom Cortese is leaving the company after nearly 12 years. He'll be replaced by Nick Caldwell, who previously held leadership positions at Twitter, Google, and Microsoft. And the U.S. banking industry seeing a major first. S&P Global revealing the industry's total deposits declined year over year for the first time since in data going back to 1994. That's down nearly 5 percent to just over 17 trillion. S&P says Charles Schwab saw the largest decrease, and that's primarily due to outflows from brokerage accounts, Frank. All right, Silvana, thank you very much. We'll see you a little bit later in the show. All right. Back here in the U.S., borrowers are facing increased pressure from rising rates and the prospects of higher for longer. 
with nearly $270 billion of leveraged loans at risk of default. That's according to Fitch. The default rate for the past 12 months now sitting at its highest level since 2014. One of the companies with a finger on the pulse of it all, Jack Henry, a software-as-a-service financial technology company with over 7,000 customers, ranging from mid-sized and regional banks to credit unions, shares. They're down 12% since the most recent earnings, despite beating estimates for revenue and profit. However, guidance was below what the street expected. Joining me now to discuss banking, cloud computing, and the impact of higher rates, David Foss, CEO of Jack Henry & Associates. David, good morning. It is great to have you here. Good morning, Frank. Good to be with you. All right. So let's just start off with this. Higher for longer. Shocked the markets a little bit. How is it impacting your business? And also, how is it impacting your customers? Again, mid-sized and regional banks, also credit unions. Yeah, so it's an interesting time right now in banking. You know, a lot of people refer to what's happening with regional banks as a crisis. I wouldn't call it a crisis. In the report that you just shared, for example, the outflow of deposits, uh, you know, much of that is attributed to the fact that there was a big inflow of deposits when stimulus checks were going out. Right? So a lot of balances increased in a lot of consumer accounts and business accounts with PPP. Well, now that's, that money has, has been spent or is being spent. And so there's a drain on those deposits that have been made over the last uh, couple of years as a result result of the, uh, of the uh, COVID uh, stimulus money. And couple that with uh, what's happening just in general with regard to uh, banking. So a lot of concern about commercial real estate. Uh, when you look at the regional banking space that we serve, as opposed to the tier one banks, most of our uh, financial institutions are not big into office space. They're into commercial real estate that looks like uh, manufacturing facilities and, and uh, small warehouses, those types of things. So although there is certainly activity uh, that is uh, somewhat negative in the regional banking space, our customers, by and large, have not been affected in any major way really? by what's happening in the overall economy. All right, I want to talk about your business. You've never been shy. You're always looking for a deal. You're a big M&A guy. This higher cost of capital rates may be even moving up on the 10-year to 5%. Um, does that change your opinion of M&A? Does that change how even your board looks at it? Yeah, so it has been an interesting conversation lately. And as you know, we, we have been a serial acquirer for many years. Uh, just in my tenure, we've acquired 32 companies uh, at Jack Henry. And so uh, this change in the interest rate environment certainly is a, a big part of the conversation now, whereas for quite some time with, uh, with uh, cost of capital being uh, almost nothing, um, you know, now the, the conversation is different. So it is part of the calculus now. When we're looking at an acquisition, we really have to factor in the impact of the, uh, the interest on that debt when we take on debt to do the acquisition. Right. And what is the long-term impact as opposed to other uses of capital? And we, we haven't been a big buyer of our own stock, but we do that once in a while. Well, now the idea of, uh, of stock repurchases is much more on the table as, a, as kind of a comparative point to doing an acquisition than it has been over the past couple, three years. Really, that's interesting, just kind of a shift in strategy, especially for you. Again, you mentioned you've done a couple dozen deals since you've taken over. Um, I want to hit yeah. on something else, the regional bank. So they're down over 20 percent since the collapse of SVB. You know, after it happened, we heard there's going to be a lot of bank consolidation, M&A deposits would move to bigger banks. You really have your finger on the pulse of what's going on with a lot of these companies You provide their software to do all types of different transactions. What are you seeing and what are you hearing? Is there going to be M&A coming up that just hasn't happened yet? What are you hearing? Yeah, so uh, first off, not a big outflow of deposits from our customers into other institutions. That was certainly the, <clears throat> the concern when Silicon Valley Bank failed and the other 
a couple that happened after that. But that was not really a major impact to our customers. The impact was, as I mentioned earlier, more just kind of normal spending that was happening because people had this, uh, this buildup in cash. On the topic of bank M&A, however, there is definitely a lot of demand out there for, for M&A. A lot of bankers are looking to acquire. The challenge has been for those public uh, institutions, their, their stock has been impacted. And so they feel like they wouldn't get the valuation that they would, they would uh, expect for their franchise. The buyers don't feel like they have a currency to use to do M&A. And so M&A has really come to almost a stop. I won't say it's literally a stop, but there's been very little M&A here the last several months and even a year. But there's a lot of demand out there. In fact, I'm speaking in January at a conference that I speak at every year called Acquire or Be Acquired. Okay. The whole point of that conference is people coming in to try and match up buyers and sellers. I would expect by January when I'm at that conference, M&A will be happening again in, okay. the, uh, in the banking space. Well, David Foss, you would certainly know. And by the way, uh, I just want to hit on this. One of the reasons your guidance was lower is that you've changed how you report revenue after M&A with your customers. I want to give you the credit. Um, David Foss, it's always great to see you. Thank you for your insight on banking, also cloud computing, and also M&A. Great to see you. You bet. Thank, thank you, Frank. All right. Taking a look at today's now big consumer stat. It's a new thing we're doing here on the show. That's today, 42. You can see it right here. That's how many weeks of income it would take a typical American household to buy a new car. That's up from 33 weeks just a few years ago, three years ago to be exact. According to Mark Zandi from Moody's Analytics, American consumers feeling the pinch of rising rates. And analysts say the auto worker strikes will not help the situation. We want to stick with those strikes now in a developing story as we enter day six. President Biden met with striking workers on the picket line yesterday, the first sitting president to do so. Today, former President Trump makes his way to Detroit. And that's where we find NBC's Jay Gray with the very latest. Jay, good morning. Yeah, good morning, Frank. And once again, the uh, uh, striking union workers are gathering outside the gates, not only of this Ford plant in Wayne, Michigan, but now 40 different plants across the country. The work stoppage doubling right now, at least, as a campaign stop in the early race for the White House. The politics of picketing continues in Michigan. Former President Donald Trump, the current frontrunner for the 2024 Republican nomination, scheduled to speak to auto workers tonight, a day after President Biden's historic visit, the first sitting president to join a picket line. Let's keep going. You deserve what you've earned, and you've earned a hell of a lot more than you're getting paid now. Mr. Trump taking a swipe at Mr. Biden on social media, writing, Crooked Joe should be ashamed to show his face before these hardworking Americans he is stabbing in the back, criticizing the administration's commitment to electric vehicles, which he says will send U.S. jobs overseas. He's selling our, our automobile companies, everything, right down the tubes. GM and Ford downplaying the politics suddenly surrounding the contentious negotiations, saying in written statements, good faith bargaining and creative solutions will lead to a new contract. Pay continues to be one of the major sticking points. The union demanding a 40% raise, the carmaker's best counteroffer to this point, around 20%. The distance between the two sides, measured right now by what is a growing picket line. Yeah, and more than 18,000 UAW members have moved from the production line to that picket line. And Frank, union leaders say that number could climb pretty quickly if they can't find some common ground here. All right, Jay, 
I also want to get your take on another uh, issue, I would say, in this dispute right now. It's Elon Musk, obviously the CEO of Tesla, making some comments on X yesterday, formerly Twitter. He said in part they want a 40 percent pay raise, speaking of the UAW, and a 32-hour work week. Short way to drive GM, Ford and Chrysler bankrupt in the fast lane. Of course, he's talking about Stellantis instead of Chrysler. Uh, what did you make of this? Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty interesting that he would make that comment, considering that when you look at the overall scope of the auto industry, it's his workers that are right now reportedly being paid less than anyone in that field. So he, he right now has a competitive advantage because he's still working and still churning out vehicles. It, it seems to me that he's stirring the pot a little unnecessarily, but... Frank, as you know, that's no surprise when it comes to Elon Musk. So it's interesting that he would input himself into this situation. His workers have been grumbling. Uh, we've seen reports of that about the situation here. And, and you know, why, why would you stir that pot at this point? Unclear, but I, I guess one of the theories is if your competition's struggling, it doesn't hurt to keep them down a bit. Yeah, I think he just likes to be in the middle of controversy as well. Jay Gray, always great to see you live from Detroit. All right, straight <laughs> ahead here. Right. <laughs> I think I'm right, too. All right, straight ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, while mounting regulatory pressure, including yesterday's landmark decision by the U.S. government to take on Amazon could spell trouble for the rest of big tech, including Apple. We'll be right back with much more. Stick with us. It's right around 5.30 a.m. in the New York City area, and there's a lot more ahead on Worldwide Exchange. Here's what's still on deck. Looking to bounce back, futures pointing to a higher open after the Dow notches its worst day in roughly six months. Plus, our special week-long series with the best ideas to make money in the fourth quarter. It rolls on. We're going to tell you all about the stock that Victoria Green says is a great way to ride energy's rebound. And after nearly 150 days on the picket line, Hollywood's writers, they prepare to head back to work. It is Wednesday, September the 27th, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I am Frank Holland. Let's get you ready to start the day. As always, we pick up the half an hour with a check on U.S. stock futures after the Dow's worst day since late March. You can see right here a bit of a reversal in the green across the board. The Dow looked like it opened up about 100 points higher, maybe even higher than that, pretty much hitting its highs of this morning. The S&P and the Nasdaq both up just under a half a percent. So investors, they're just coming to terms with the real impact of higher for longer in terms of interest rates in the bond market. Take a look right here. You see the 10-year right now at 4.50, hovering pretty close to 2007 highs. The 30-year also hovering near 2011 highs at 4.63. And the yield on the two-year note still above 5%, but off of its highs from just yesterday. We also want to look at the energy market, specifically oil. We take a look at WTI, the U.S. benchmark, at 91.56, up one and a quarter percent right now in the pre-market. Brent crude, similar story, up almost one percent at 94.88. Natural gas actually taking a move to the downside since we started the show, down fractionally right now. All right. We also continue to watch Amazon this morning. Really our big stock story this morning after a monster stock move yesterday on news that the FTC is going after the e-commerce and cloud giant for monopolistic practices. You can see the big dip to the downside yesterday on that news. We will have much more on the regulatory headwinds facing tech, including Amazon, coming up in just a moment. But now we're going to go from our market setup to our week-long series for investors who they may have missed out on the rally this year. 
but they still want to lock in some gains before the calendar flips over to 2024. We are speaking with some of our favorite stock pickers, giving us their best ideas, and then we run them through the Worldwide Exchange gauntlet to defend their picks. Yesterday, we had Malcolm Etheridge of CIC Wealth. He made the case for SoFi. Today, I'm joined by Victoria Green, founding partner and CIO at G Squared Private Wealth, also a CNBC contributor. Vicky, always great to see you. We're going to jump right into it. What is your pick and why? My pick is SLB, it's the, the stock formerly known as Schlumberger. I always feel a little weird saying that it's like the artist formerly known as, as Prince. But anytime you rebrand it, it is a little bit funny to me. But I love this stock for multiple reasons. Number one, let's talk the macro. Look, we're at $90 to $100 oil. And this company is so well exposed to international drilling activity. So even though we have seen lower rate counts in North America, we're seeing massive expansion in, in international waters, especially offshore and especially Middle East. This is a dominant player in the oil field services. And so the macro looks pretty good for fourth quarter, higher oil prices and, and drilling activity, especially international, is much higher than we've seen a little bit slump here in the Permian. I want to push back on you. As always, I got to play the devil's advocate to your pick right now. So you're saying that international revenue is a big part of the story for SLB, formerly Schlumberger. Uh, they get about 80 percent of their revenues outside the U.S. A big part of that, of course, is China. We're going to show the audience the PMI data out of China China technically in contraction. Our friends from the China Beige Book say it's not really in contraction. It's kind of flat. But still, according to the data points right here, we're seeing at 49.7 technically in contraction. Also, Mexico just recently became our top trading partner. Does that change the story about China and the rebound? Is it maybe time just to lower expectations for China's oil demand and the so-called rebound we've been expecting? No, I do think China's going to stimulate their economy. They, they seem to have always found a way to continue to push forward and grow. So I have faith in their ability to say, hey, look, this country is not where we want it to be. Our growth is not where we want it to be. And that they think their government's going to continue to step in aggressively uh, to, to, to stimulate and have more growth. Mexico also, we do, they do a lot offshore. They're a huge player in the, in the Gulf area. They have major partners from Saudi Aramco to Petrobras to, to either new partnership with BP. And Slumbers is such a well-positioned company. They have these partnerships and joint ventures, but it's beyond just digging these holes in the ground. It's also digital integration, energy transition, you know, and so if you look at this okay. diversified company, you can see all of these revenue growth opportunities beyond just drilling holes in the ground. All right. I want to bounce one more thing off of you. Uh, higher for longer is a reality for every part of the market. Yesterday, Minneapolis Fed President Neil Kashkari said there's a 40 percent chance the Fed will have to move rates meaningfully, meaningfully higher. Um, are you worried about demand destruction as rates continue to move or could stay higher for longer, but could even move meaningfully higher? Not right now, not in the fourth quarter. Obviously, that could come into play next year if that does drive everybody into recession with higher for longer and starting to talk about six, seven percent rates. That that seems pretty bad for, for economic growth. But when I look at the fourth quarter, I see a lot of catalysts to how we move forward. And one of those catalysts is energy security. So everybody wants to have more secured uh, stockpiles, more secured, and we need to refill our SPR. And so as these countries realize, oh, what Russia happened with Europe and natural gas, we need energy security. Everybody is looking to ensure their SPRs are full. Their supply of energy is with trading partners they feel comfortable with. And so that's going to continue to drive this activity beyond just some of the macro. We need to kind of continue to refill everything we drained the last 18 months to keep uh, gasoline prices lower. All right, Victoria Green, it is always great to see you. Thank you for your pick. Again, Slumberjay or formerly Slumberjay, SLB. Uh, and then tomorrow, we asked James Chalkmock of Clockwise Capital to go big or to go home. He's going to defend this. 
This mystery chart, it's a company that's put in some solid gains this year, but also has come under fire from regulators all around the world. You see almost 50% gain year to date. We're going to talk about that tomorrow. All right, right now we're going to talk about shares of Apple. They are moving higher in the pre-market, but still on track to end the month lower as investors assess a fresh batch of risk to this stock. Top of mind iPhone sales and the demand outlook from a potentially stretched consumer. And then number two, China and the threat of ongoing tensions and growing competition. And then finally, a renewed push for the tech sector when it comes to regulation on the back of yesterday's announcement that the FTC is going after Amazon for monopolistic practices and the Department of Justice's ongoing case against Google for similar allegations. We got the argument for both sides of this. We got Daniel Flax of Newberger Berman. He's got the bullish take. We also have Tom Forte of D.A. Davidson taking on the bearish view. Let's start with the outlook for iPhone sales. I'm going to start with the bearish view. Tom, I'm going to start off with you. I'm just taking a look at the chart. Apple shares down 4% since the debut of the new iPhone. What's the bearish view on this? So the bearish view is that the iPhone will not be able to sustain the stock as it has in the past. The company already told us so to the extent that it guided to a decline in September revenue, its fourth consecutive quarter of declining revenue, despite the September 22nd launch of the iPhone 15. So historically, the iPhone, still the most important product from a sales and profitability standpoint, has been able to drive shares higher, uh, not this time. All right, Daniel, over to you. I, I do want to point out we had our Steve Kovac outside the Apple store uh, the day when it was uh, released. or You could put in your pre-orders. There was a line out there. So give us the bullish view. Frank, what we're seeing is that the company is continuing to innovate. You're seeing changes to the industrial design uh, with the titanium, which makes it lighter. The action button gives it more versatility. The camera uh, hel- helps uh, with, with more photography or better photography uh, and video. If we step back and look what's happening The ecosystem is vibrant. The install base is continuing to grow and the company is continuing to successfully integrate the hardware, the software and the services to drive this differentiated experience. And so, sure, there there are concerns around the consumer. China, I think, remains difficult. But when we look out, we see Apple continuing to innovate. And I think the iPhone franchise remains durable. All right. You just let me into it. Uh, We got to talk about China and China risk Uh, restrictions on iPhones. The debut of a new Huawei phone. Tom, I'm going to come over to you. Should investors be bearish about this China risk? They absolutely should be bearish. So the big concern from our end is that rising tensions between the U.S. government and Chinese government are going to lead in incremental protectionist behavior by both sides, and Apple could get caught in the middle. Framing that, about 10 percent of Apple's revenue comes from China. Couple that with a very weak economy in China And Apple may not only be able to rely on iPhone sales, but not only be able to rely on strong sales in China to drive stock higher over the next 12 months. All right, Daniel, over to you. Investors are clearly very bearish about this China risk. Is there some upside in China that maybe isn't being realized in the stock action? I think there's tremendous future potential in China. And if we look back at what Apple has done over the past decade, uh, Apple has grown their business uh, in, in a tremendous way. It's driven by the innovation and the product cycles. The Chinese customers, they want the very best. And so while the market certainly remains competitive, a- Apple has, has been investing aggressively in their ecosystem. The devices, their services franchise remains healthy. So we see a lot of potential in China from here. Certainly the, the, the geopolitical and trade uh, dynamics uh, remain challenging. We've, we've been facing them for several years. I would expect that to remain part of the, the, the broader 
uh, uh, landscape. But but I do think Apple and we're seeing that they're able to innovate and execute through it. All right. But last but certainly not least, we're talking tech regulation, Tom. So antitrust regulatory risk for Apple, it could get cut directly to the extent of 30 percent it takes for app sales could be at risk. It could also be caught indirectly to the extent that it's getting billions of dollars of revenue from Google and Google's in the midst of its own antitrust, including its dominance in search, uh, where it pays for placement on Apple. All right, Dan. I think all of the technology platforms, including Apple, really need to increase the transparency with their customers. A- Apple's business with the App Store, there are, of course, other app stores uh, with similar uh, commission and take rates. And so we'll, we'll have to see how that plays out. What I think is going to matter if we look at Apple is that this is really a story of empowering others. They've paid out over $320 billion uh, to, to developers since opening the App Store. And so, yes, all, all of these companies, including Apple, need to ensure that they're balancing the interests of all parties. But ultimately, if Apple and the others are able to empower others to be successful on their platforms, I think that will matter uh, a, a great deal to driving uh, their their growth and ultimately their share price uh, outperformance. And certainly we like Apple here. All right. Daniel Flax and Tom Forte. Uh, thank you both very much for your insight. Really appreciate the bear in the bull case. Have a great morning. All right. Coming up thank here you. on Worldwide Exchange, we have new developments in the ongoing Evergrande saga with a key executive, the focus of Chinese authorities. We have the very latest on this one when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. All right. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your morning call sheet. We begin with Morgan Stanley initiating coverage on Hasbro with an overweight rating and an $84 price target, saying it expects upward revisions as new management executes on its strategic plan to simplify the business, cut costs and invest in innovation. Shares of Hasbro right now up just about 2 percent in the pre-market. UBS initiating coverage of ChargePoint with a buy rating and a $9 price target, saying while sentiment has grown worse over the last 18 months, there is an attractive reward scenario, especially as EV adoption accelerates those shares up just over 3% in the pre-market. And might as well stay on EVs. Deutsche Bank cutting its price target on Tesla to $285. It says it sees meaningful downside risk to next year's consensus due to limited volume growth. Shares of Tesla, however, are still up just about a half a percent right now. And it's time now for your global briefing. We're going to begin with some news out of China. The founder and chairman of Evergrande has reportedly been placed under police control. Bloomberg says he was taken away by authorities earlier this month and is now being monitored at a designated location. This latest move is a type of police action that falls short of a formal detention or an arrest. China's central bank is also vowing to step up policy report for the world's second largest economy, which it says faces weakening domestic demand and severe external challenges. The PBOC says it will make monetary policy precise and forceful to boost demand and confidence. And Samsung SDI announcing a $2 billion investment to build a second electric vehicle battery plant with Stellantis here in the U.S. In a regulatory filing, the company says the joint venture will be operational in 2027 and will have an annual production capacity of 34 gigawatt hours. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, we've got the one word that every investor needs to know today. Plus, Jenny Harrington makes the case for this beaten-up pandemic play. That name from this mystery chart right here is coming up. And also, as we had to break, CNBC is celebrating Hispanic heritage, sharing the stories of influential Hispanic business leaders with you. Here is Shopify General Counsel Jess Hertz. 
given that it's Hispanic Heritage Month, one of my most profound mentors was uh, Justice Sotomayor. I was able to clerk for her when I graduated law school when she was on the Second Circuit. And I remember all that she taught me, not only from a academic, how to be a good lawyer standpoint, but from a human empathy standpoint. And really paying it forward is an important part of how we all partake in a community. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It is time now for your WEX wrap-up. We begin with just days to go until the October 1st deadline. Still, no deal in sight, at least in the House, to avert a federal government shutdown. But that's not stopping the Senate. Coming to an agreement to keep the federal government funded until mid-November and provides billions of dollars in aid for the Ukraine war and parts of the U.S. hit by natural disasters. After nearly 150 days, the Hollywood writers' strike is officially over after the Writers Guild of America voted unanimously in favor of its deal with studios. The agreement includes an immediate 5% minimum pay increase and addresses some of the concerns around artificial intelligence. Shares of Rocket Lab trading lower after the company lowered Q3 guidance following the failure of its September 19th launch. Rocket Lab says it's investigating the flight anomaly and does not expect it to cause any material incremental expenses. Those shares actually up almost 1% right now. Costco shares, however, they're under pressure despite an earnings beat with revenue increasing more than 8% year over year. Those shares down just about 2% right now. Miller & Knowles surging double digits and on pace for its best quarterly performance since 1980. Following an earnings and revenue beat and a raise to its full-year guidance, the furniture company says it's benefiting from the increasing shift of return to office mandates. Those shares right now, they're up almost 17% in the pre-market. And former President Donald Trump planning to visit the auto workers in Detroit today instead of taking part in the second Republican debate. That's just one day after President Biden joined the UAW picket lines, the first sitting president to do so. All right, here's what to watch today. On the economic front, we get weekly mortgage applications and durable good figures. That's before the open. FDC Chair Lena Khan set to speak at 12.30 p.m. at an AI and tech summit following her agency's antitrust lawsuit against Amazon. Ahead of that speech, she's going to speak with CNBC, with CNBC on Squawk Box. That's coming up at 8.30 a.m. Eastern. We also have Paychex and Micron, both out with earnings today. All right, we do have a very busy trading day on tap. Let's get right into the moves to make with our Jenny Harrington, the CEO of Gilman Hill Asset Management and a CNBC contributor. Jenny, you're also taking part in a CNBC Pro Talks during tomorrow's Delivering Alpha event. You can sign up for that Pro Talk at CNBC.com slash Pro Talks. Great to have you here. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. All right, so got to just jump right into this. Futures really solidly in the green after a down day for the markets yesterday. A lot of volatility. What are you expecting for today? So what I'm super curious to see is if that green holds, because what I think is, I think we're range bound. I've been saying this for two years, and I'm pretty sure I know what the top of the range is, which is probably 4,600. But what I don't know and what's driving me nuts is what the bottom of the range is. And I think within that trading range, I think the rallies are sparked by sentiment and and also the declines are sparked by sentiment. So I really want to see where the sentiment goes today and and if we're actually able to hold this. All right, so speak- I think we're kind of defining the bottom of the range right now. Okay. Well, speaking of sentiment, what's your sentiment? Give us your WEX word of the day. 
Okay. Thank you. I love this word of the day. My sentiment is purgatory. And I actually thought when I told you that yesterday, I'm like, I should look up what the actual definition of purgatory is because I always think of it as being stuck in a really unpleasant state. So actually it's like a super religious actual explanation, but I think we are stuck in my version of purgatory, which is really unpleasant. It's neither a bull market nor a bear market. We don't really know which side we're going to end up on or how long it's going to take to get there. And that's pretty torturous for investors, especially for investors who become really comfortable over the past decade of positive returns and going out to their clients on a quarterly and annual basis saying like, oh, how great, you know, we're up 30%, we're up 10%, we're up 5%. It was a bad year, but don't worry, we rallied right back. So this is a really, really unpleasant kind of difficult time for professional investors and individuals alike. We're stuck. All right. So speaking of professional investors, Jenny, I want to get your take on the latest Delivering Alpha investor survey, of course, ahead of tomorrow's DA Summit right here in New York City. If you want to go, you can scan the QR code on your screen. There is still time to register. You can also watch it online. So here's the question. We're asking leading institutional investors, top strategists and our own CNBC contributors like you, which area will you be concentrating on to start the fourth quarter? So Take a look at the data. 36% saying mega cap tech stocks, 32% saying energy stocks, and coming in a very distant third that's healthcare. What is your take? Well, I think it's interesting the way the question's phrased because area of concentration. So obviously, I'm in the high dividend space because I run a high dividend income strategy with a 5% or better dividend yield hurdle. So I'm stuck there. But it's interesting because when you say, where are you concentrating? Because of capital gains, A lot of investors are kind of stuck in that mega cap space and they can't get out of it without incurring huge tax bills for their clients. So I think I think that's maybe a little more backward looking for investors than it is forward looking. I don't think people are pulling money out and piling it into high tech right now. All right. We also have to come to you because you always have a pick for us. What's your pick for today? Where would you put money to work today? Okay, so here's where we're finding opportunity. We're finding opportunity in the fallen 2020 bubble stocks. So we actually, for our discipline growth strategy, not the dividend income strategy, we added DocuSign last week. And this is wild. When you look at DocuSign here and now today, like, yeah, it's down 90% from its highs, but they never should, it never should have reached those highs anyway. But what you have today is you have a company trading at 15 times earnings with 7% free cash flow yield. They've got 1 billion users, and we all know what they do, right? They do the electronic signatures. It's a booming market. Like, I'm probably never gonna sign physical papers at the rate I used to again. Probably nobody is. And if you look at companies like Fidelity and Schwab, they're pushing every single thing to be signed electronically. They think it's safer. So they've got a billion users, 1.4 million, sorry, 1.4 million paying customers. The operating margins are 25%. We think there's huge room for margin expansion. It's a company that's going to be with us forever, and they're doing it better than anyone else. So it's kind of neat to sift through the rubble of the 2020 fallen bubble stocks and find some golden opportunities. I mean, it's hard to dispute the fact this is going to be a long-term business. We're going to probably all soon sign mm-hmm. everything electronically. But looking at the stocks, still down more than 20% year to date. So what's going to be the catalyst for this turnaround? Oh, I think just like a bunch of quarterly earnings for the next, I don't know, 5, 10, 20 quarters where they start to deliver really strong earnings and and investors look at it based on today and what's going forward. Um, You know me. I hate buying a stock at the high point. So buying it back in 2022, (laughs) I never would have done that. This is where I always, you know, I always like to like buy low, sell high. So when I see a stock low like this, this is where I get pretty excited. Well, it's low overall, but right now up one and a half percent in the pre-market. Jenny Harrington, it is always great to see you. (laughs) By the way, happy anniversary. We're celebrating our five-year anniversary together. 
All right, taking a look at futures right now. Off of their highs, Dow looking like it'll open up about 80 points higher. Uh, and have a great day. Thank you for watching. Squawk Box coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.